Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hey, what up? Welcome in. I'm Doug Gottlieb, and this is All Ball. All basketball, all the time, and great stories. Today, we have an all-time great um, schoolboy legend, Shay Cotton. Shay's brother, James, played in the NBA, played Long Beach State. Shay himself uh, initially committed to UCLA, then went to prep school, then went to Long Beach City, then went to Alabama, and, and then never played in the NBA, despite the fact he was in the cover of Sports Illustrated when he was in eighth grade. And this is before KG and Kobe and then others followed, going straight from high school to the pros. He was the chosen one. He was supposed to be the next one. What happened? What went wrong? Well, that's why we have the podcast. Here's my discussion with Shea Cotton. Um, I think I want to start you're in sixth grade, okay? And James is what a freshman. You were in sixth grade. My brother, uh, he was no eighth grade. We were two about two and a half years apart. Okay, so your brother, your brother's in eighth, and you were in sixth. I think he was. I think he was ninth, and you're in sixth. Was he a freshman? Yeah, because he was. Yeah, because he was my my class, and then I stayed back. Okay, and I practiced with you guys. And you had like the best sixth grade team that's ever been created. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's how I remember it. It was right. you, Jay, Jay Hart, uh, Vukovic, David Castleton. Um, but like, so, so you grew up and you're like, uh, your late father, I remember, cowboy hat, cowboy boots, camera, every game, you and your brother. What, but what were your memories of early basketball at that age, fifth, sixth grade, playing yourself and watching your brother hoop? Man, just wearing clothes that I, I couldn't really fit because I was so skinny at that time. And playing against older guys all the time, you know, just getting beat up. I remember getting beat up a lot, you know, just 
playing play with my brother's friends and stuff, always playing up because I was I was more 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 competitive than a lot of my peers. So, you know, the, the early stages, I just remember watching a lot of basketball, you know, seeing my father get the camera camera bag ready for every game, you know, working tirelessly. We're, we're doing construction with him, you know, leaving jobs, going home, shower and getting ready to go to a tournament to play. And, you know, I think that's what helped add to my add to my prowess. You know, the work that I did with my father early, I didn't really enjoy it. So I took it out of my peers on the court. Wait, so your dad was doing construction jobs and you had yeah. to be part of that job? Yeah, he, he, he taught me and my brother from young what it is to have work ethic. <laughs> so, you know, we, we, we definitely took it to heart, you know, and I, I took that to, to heart on the basketball court more importantly because I didn't like that work. So I didn't want to do that for a living. So I said, I'm going to make sure I do this real good on the basketball court so I don't have to do that. So that was kind of my motivation at the time. You know, what's interesting is, you know, now – I, you work with kids, I coach kids, and there are some parents that are involved, but, you know, like they can't help themselves games, they're yelling out their kids, whatever. Your dad wasn't like that, at least, again, I, I was an observer. Like your dad, I don't remember him saying anything to anybody. He just filmed the games and he was always there. What was he like in the car? What was he like at home in terms of coaching him? Uh, he, he didn't, he didn't talk a whole lot, but when he did, you know, we always took heed to the, to the message. He was more about, you know, accountability and, and understanding what it is to have, have discipline and to be able to sacrifice for things that you want. You know, you can work towards goals, but there's stuff that we got to give up to get real goals and things like that. So he just led by example. You know, he never complained. I mean, he worked tirelessly. Uh, he was a great provider. You know, um, a, a great husband to my mother. He gave the best he had. And, and I just, he led by example. So I watched him, the way he lived his life. You know, he was a man of integrity. Um, like you said, he wasn't very vocal in the gym. I mean, he was just, his presence was intimidating as it was. Uh, he was stern, though. He was all about discipline and, and, and work ethic. And I, and I think that that stuck in my mind. Um, eighth grade is when you're on the cover of Sports Illustrated, right? Right. Okay, so for people forget, you were a year behind KG, who ultimately was the first one to start, you know, start the process of coming out from high school. But no one had done it. You know, this is, you know, year Kobe's year. No, but no one had done it. Um, well, do you remember anybody saying anything to you before? Like, what was, what was the process? Because at the time, Sports Illustrated was the biggest thing. Just what? bigger right. than anything anything you can think of. Front page of any paper, on Sports Center, wherever you're the cover of Sports Illustrated. What do you remember about finding out that you were going to be on the cover and the photo shoot and all that? I, now that I remember it, Doug, I think I was a freshman at Modern Day. Um, I can't remember if we had started our season year or not. I think we had just finished maybe a holiday tournament going into our league. And uh, I... I got this uh, this opportunity, you know, the Sports Illustrated uh, reporters contacted me and um, said they want to do this this four-page layout. This was uh, during the World Cup. Brazil, I believe, was about to win it, so they had them on the cover, Viva Brazil. And um, at that point, it was just like, man, you know, where, where do I go from here? Because I had already been discovered from ESPN. All the, the national writers, you know, were aware of me. I mean, I was pretty much top. 15 in the country, even as a freshman nationally. So 
it's kind of like, well, where do you go from here? But I just tried to focus on the work, meaning get better on the court and, and just really winning as many ball games as we could. Cause in my mind, that would separate me, right? Just the more you win, they can't stop talking about you. The accolades will continue to proceed. And, you know, Sports Illustrated was the pinnacle. So from there, it was like, okay, I'm a marked man now. So I got to, I got to bring it every night. Um, okay. So why modern day? Great, great tradition. Um, great history. Uh, I think, uh, I had a good rapport with Coach Knight because, um, I would watch them play in my downtime when, it, when our AAU team wasn't playing. Uh, my AAU coach, Pat Bear, used to coach at modern day. So I think the style that we played and the way Coach Knight coached guys in talent, it mirrored each other. And, um, it just felt like the right fit. You know, for me, uh, I wanted to go somewhere that, that would recognize my talent and then welcome me into the family and have a lot of uh, success and a rich history. And I felt like that was the, great, the best place for it. Okay, so you go and it's like a loaded, crazy, crazy loaded team. Not just with your guys, right? You're a freshman with you, Kevin Augustine, uh, Chris Burgess, Mike Bukovic, like that's the squad. But you guys are just freshmen. And then you have seniors and juniors that are all Division One players. And now you're like the most hyped up of, of all of them. What was that early experience like your freshman year? Uh, it, was, it was interesting. The, my first 30 days, I tell the story all the time. My first 30 days, I didn't start. So, you know, I sat behind uh, Josh Porter, who was a senior at the time, a friend of mine. You know, shout out to Josh, wherever he is. Um and I basically took it upon myself, but I came in with the mentality that I, I didn't want any handouts. I, I didn't expect the coach to, to just give me playing time. I wanted to earn my keep. And so I took it on my shoulder. I said, listen, I'm going to destroy Josh in practice. I love him to death, but I got to get those minutes. So I, I had to take it upon myself and I literally would destroy him in practice every day for about a month. So finally, my teammates came into the uh, coaching office and had a conversation with Coach McKnight. They said, hey, coach, look, you know, we know Josh is senior. We love him, but, you know, Shay's here and uh, he's a lot better than Josh and he needs to play. We want to win. So that was pretty much the end of that story. And they made the exchange and we never looked back. I think we lost one or two games that year. We lost to Oak Hill, I believe, in Vegas during the holidays. They were loaded with Ron Mercer and a bunch of other guys that went D1. And we lost to Crenshaw. And I believe that was our two losses that season. Who went in to see McKnight? Uh, I, I can't remember which players, but it was like three or four guys. I mean, some of the main guys, though, you know, like uh, a few of the starters and, and, and a couple guys that had a good rapport with Coach McKnight. Because a lot of guys were scared to approach Coach McKnight. When we, when we were coming up, he wasn't as uh, calm as he is today. Let me say that. <laughs> so. Okay, so then, again, summer between your freshman and sophomore year, you know, you're a top. 10 player in the country, regardless of class, by your, by your sophomore year, Miles and those guys graduated. It, it's, it's your team. Um, what, what do you, what do you remember about that year? Because and you, do you transfer mid year that year or at the end of that year? After, at the end of the year. Yeah. So we, we went through that whole season. I was excited. I trained really hard that off season, uh, went to Nike camp, uh, but that would have been my sophomore summer. So if we're talking about my sophomore season. I actually had to go to summer school my freshman summer because of uh, it, one of my teachers at modern day decided to, to give me a D when I should have at least passed the course because I was doing the work. But there was a, 
some some character issues, I think, with one of our coaches and, and him. So he had like a vendetta against the basketball program. And I had to stay back. That was Allen Iverson's year. He went to, to Nike camp with Illuminate. And I would have been in that when that was on TV. I had to watch it on TV. I was sick about that. So that summer, I was like really driven to get after it. And I wanted to prove myself my sophomore year. I wanted to win a title that next season. I mean, we lost to Crenshaw at the Arrowhead Pine at the time, which is the Honda Center now, in front of like 19,000 people, Doug, on KCAL. It had never been covered before a high school game of that magnitude, let alone with those type of numbers. So going into my sophomore year was all about proving myself, showing the world that, look, I'm one of the best players in the country and I'm going to lead my team to a title and we're going to do it in style. So we did it by committee. We had a great team. It was some of my best years. Uh, my sophomore year, I remember a lot of the teams we played, we pretty much blew them out, to be honest. Um, you know, we played Edison in the pond. We beat them by like 20, something like that. We played Marina. We had our way with them. And uh, I believe we saw Clovis West as well. And, you know, we had our way with them also. Then we went up to Oakland and played against uh, Oakland Fremont, which was the top team out of the Bay Area at that time, a city school uh, that kind of mirrored Crenshaw for Northern California. And um, we went up there. It was a, a tough, hard-fought battle, but we pulled it out. And I became state player of the year, CIF player of the year, uh, first time ever as a sophomore. John Wooden player of the year. It's never been done since. So I don't know how well people in California know the history of these type of accolades, but that's very tough to do for a kid that's 16 years old today. So why'd you leave? Uh, it, was a, it was, it was a thing for financial, when my father's work, you know, he had LA County permit for his construction and he wasn't getting enough work. And we weren't a family that was on the take. I wasn't receiving benefits. Contrary to popular belief, everybody thought I was getting paid. That wasn't the case. I had a really exclusive deal with Nike without the money. So I had all the gear. So the look was there. So it might have had a perception as if I was receiving benefits, but I wasn't. I mean, I was I was doing everything the way I was supposed to. Um, me and Coach Knight still have a very close relationship today. We talk, you know, I go to games whenever I can. And like I said, it was some of the best years of my life. And those guys are, 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 are my, my brothers uh, for life that, that I played with. So what was that like to go? Now you go to St. John Bosco. What was that like? You know, you gone two years of high school at Modern Day. Everybody knows you. You know everybody. Now you come in basketball superstar, but completely different school, completely different area. What, what was that experience like? Uh, it's kind of like going, coming back, you know, to the L.A. area, being from the L.A. area. Uh, kid, you know, it was more of a familiarity and stuff. There was a few guys that I knew that went to Bosco, some other some other student athletes. So I had, I had a, a connection with guys there. But to be honest, when I went to Bosco, I was more focused on just being the best player that I can be. I knew it was a new system. Um, I wanted to, to basically just show everybody what I could do. Outside of the system at modern day, I had to showcase my talent in a different way. So, you know, it was a good, it was a good transition for me. I handled my business. Um, I was hurt my junior year, my summer of my junior, I, I tore my shoulder. So I obviously didn't play my senior year, but in three years of basketball, you know, I, I laid it on the line every night. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. 
the Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, so um, so during this time, okay, UCLA is hot. UCLA won a national championship. And, you know, they were kind of selecting more than recruiting, right? They were like, they had, they had Toby, they got JR, they got Chris on Johnson. You mentioned Luge, Luge committed to him early, even though he never played for him. Okay. Uh, but they were, uh, what, where were you in trying to remember back to, you know, it's your going into your junior year and, uh, it's still very early. But where were you in terms of your desire to go to college when people are talking about going pro? And um, and and what were you thinking in terms of college? Great question. Um, as far as going to college, that was my goal at the time, Doug. I mean, I, I knew I had the tools where I probably could have made the jump because I was training with NBA guys at UCLA with Magic, you know, as a sophomore. So I was running with him. He had all the NBA players on his team. It was nobody but NBA players on his court. So... I was really the only high school guy in the gym for the most part outside of the UCLA players that would train with the NBA guys every summer anyway. And, um, you know, that was, that was, that was pretty much my, my mentality. I wanted to get the best scholarship that, that I could, uh, that I could earn and go into a power conference, you know, division one and show the world what I could do in a year and then, you know, go to the NBA from there. So that it wasn't, it wasn't as, as uh, normal as it is now for guys making the professional jump, whether it's the G League or D League or whatever, today uh, is much different. Back then, it was a rarity. So you had KG pretty much, and then there was Kobe, and then everybody thought I was going to make the jump. So I decided to go to college because I had received the injury to my shoulder, and I felt I had something to prove. Okay, so you hurt your shoulder. Is that why you didn't play your whole senior year? Was The, the whole thing was the shoulder? Yep, tore my rotator cuff. How'd you do it? Man, 
talk about a nightmare. We went up, uh, Kareem Shabazz playing against Long Island Panthers at Long Beach State's, uh, old gold mine before they built the pyramid. Uh, we were playing in a sick game. I think I had like 38 points. It was like the end of the third quarter. I had a whole nother quarter to go. There was like a loose ball that kind of tipped up in the air. And you know how everybody goes up to try to grab it almost like a jump ball formation. And it was just me and Kareem Shabazz, a seven footer out of Long Island who went to Florida State. And we went straight up in the air. And, and I think I, I jumped higher than him and I got a hand on the ball and I tried to bring it down this way. And somehow he got his arm wrapped up in the mind and his arm went back and I yanked forward and my shoulder just snapped out of place like, like a drumstick basically. And you know, the shoulder went into shock and my nerves were just kind of like my arm was just kind of dangling. And I was, I was just in a state of shock. I couldn't believe what happened. So from that point, I went straight into the training room. They put it back in place, took me to the hospital, took the x-ray, MRI. It, it showed it was a complete tear down the middle. Doctor said, there's no way around it. We're going to have to repair it. I took about a week to decide what I wanted to do and, uh, went into surgery. And that was pretty much it. You know, six months after that, I had their, uh, rehab. And I was able to come back in time right as the season was finishing up. I was a McDonald's All-American, but wasn't able to play in the game due to the injury. And, um, you know, the the rest is history. Life changed from there. I mean, I was a different player. I was very effective. I still dropped 30 pretty much wherever I played. But, you know, I, I had limitations as far as my shoulders, so I couldn't get my body in, in, in different positions like I used to. What limitations? Uh, just like, you know, um, taking off, I used to do left-hand dunks off my right leg with my left hand. I wasn't able to get my arm out, you know, in positions where guys couldn't block it when I was going to the rim. So I would do a lot of stuff with two hands. And, you know, just my game looked a little different. I was still very effective and very successful, but it was a different player that you were watching. Okay, so yeah, what, what were, where, were, where were you in college? What was going on with college? At this point in time, now, like your senior year, you're trying to figure out what you're going to do. Senior year for college, I was just really looking at what my brother was going to decide to do. If he was going to go hardship or stay in school, our goal was to play together at Long Beach State together. Um, I was really excited about that idea. And um, we were having some financial difficulties at home. So we had a meeting and uh, my brother decided to go hardship to help the family out financially. And uh, that changed the course of my plan. And from that point, I decided to write my letter because I decided to commit to Long Beach State. And I decided to write a letter to uh, rescind that that commitment and request to be uh, released. And, and they granted me and opened up the recruiting process again. You know, as a kid, I always wanted to play at UCLA. For us, it was the West Coast, North Carolina. I, I was very familiar with the school, the staff. I had been on campus several times in the summer already. And um, I felt it was a no-brainer. You know, Barron was coming in with Earl Watson, Travis Reed, Billy Knight. We had a hell of a recruiting class that year. And uh, so I settled on UCLA, and all hell broke loose. What happened? I went to summer school. We uh, got through our freshman FSP. I was taking my last last test of the uh, summer, and we were finishing up. I, I received the paper, um, the proctor for my test. Uh, brought a newspaper to my desk and it said, uh, it's a Twitter and validates cottage test score and, um, asked me, did I know anything about this? And I'm just seeing it for the first time. So from that point, it was just, uh, it was a tumultuous experience. I mean, talk about being 
heartbroken and let down. I mean, you're basically playing ball from college at one of the most storied schools in the, in the history of college basketball. I mean, the most national championships, the Wizard of Westwood, you know, beautiful location. I mean, you're halfway to the NBA. And then, you know, it's like my life is flipped upside down. So, okay, so this is in regards to your SAT score, right? Correct. So, so your SAT test. How many times do you take the SAT? I took the SAT twice. Uh, my third time is when I passed it. And uh, there was an issue, apparently, but I don't know why, because my proctor sat in on my test. It was just me and her. Um, my guidance counselor at St. John Bosco, Vicki Goodman, who's no longer alive, uh, rest in peace. And uh, it just was unfortunate. Uh, you know, they, they had it in for me, and I wasn't even doing anything. I was doing everything the right way. Meanwhile, a lot of my peers around me, were basically, you know, doing doing whatever they could illegally to get away with it. And I'm just turning the cheek while all the heat's coming to me. But, you know, I was one of the biggest figures at that time, Doug, and I wasn't taking money. They couldn't control my parents. So it was kind of a different dynamic at that time. And I guess they didn't really know how to handle me. So it was like a threat. And when I look at it now, being 43 years old, looking back on my career and some of the things that happened, it was wrong what happened, man. You know, it, it shouldn't happen to people. Nobody's kids should ever go through what I what I had to experience. And that's a big reason why uh, we created the Man Child documentary. Okay, so, but but help me understand. Who had it in for you? Like, who specifically, you know, if you have to, it's like the, when you're trying to investigate, like, a murder, right? So that yeah. means that there has to be motive, right? right? So... Who had the means? Who had the motive? Why would they? What? Why? And who? Well, the powers that be. I mean, there, there's, you know, you you can draw your own conclusion. I think when when you watch the documentary, it's it's clear that you know the institutions that that govern all the colleges had something to do with it, and potentially one of the colleges that I committed to. So, without giving up any names, you can you can fill in the blanks by watching the documentary and just kind of putting everything together. You know, with the the sequence of events in my career, how it kind of came together. But I think at the end of the day, Doug, there was a lot of money lost. When I left Long Beach, they lost close to $3 million in TV revenue. Every game was on ESPN. The others were on Fox. So uh, it was a no-brainer. You know, they, Long Beach would have propelled from that mid-major tier possibly into the next realm and really been able to, to uh, captivate audiences and get national talent at a, at a five-star level year in and year out, probably from that point on. So a lot of things were affected from that, which I was aware of after the fact, but there was a conditional release on the terms of my release, and I wasn't aware of that. So when 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 uh, when I decided to go to UCLA, they didn't like that too much, and uh, a lot of things changed, whether it came from the college that I left or the powers that be. Something happened that shouldn't happen. So uh, so they say your your test is invalidated. You've been taking summer school at UCLA. And what? I weighed my options. I said, man, I don't want to go to JUCO. I don't want my college clock to start. You know, I, I think I need to do some homework on some prep schools. You know, I was aware of Coach Smith down there at Oak Hill in Virginia, but they didn't take postgraduates at the time. So I looked into some schools in the Northeast. I looked at Milford Academy where uh, Marbury's brother was playing Zach. There was a few other schools, Hargrave down in Virginia. Um, I looked at St. Thomas More, Connecticut, and I think the uh, main central up in Maine. And I decided to go to, to St. Thomas More, Connecticut, because it was in the tri-state. I knew that if I played well there. I would get a lot of exposure on the East Coast. 
and uh, you know draw the likes of ESPN. And my goal there was to get have have an interview done, you know, have a, have a special done from ESPN while I'm in prep school to help drive my demand to to basically able to go to any college that of my choice. So I played well enough in the NEPSAC. I led the NEPSAC in scoring. Coach Jerry Quinn coached me. Uh, he's still there today. We had a big time uh, roster on our on our on our team. All five of our guys were D one our starters. Um, I had a great. Who else, who else was on that team? Uh, Ashley Ding's brother Luau, who played at UConn, transferred to Fairfield. Uh, Charles Cranford, uh, New York guy that went to St. Louis University, played for uh, Coach Romar down there. Um, we had uh, another kid, Shahar Gordon, who played at Cal, who's an Israeli kid. There was um, our guard, Rusty. I think he may have played D2 ball in Tennessee somewhere. And then we had another guy who wound up playing at GW, my uh, roommate, Mike King, who was the off guard out of Baltimore. So we had a squad. I mean, we lost to MCI in the end. But, I mean, we, we blew most teams out of the NEPSAC. And, you know, I was just on a tear because I was pissed off, quite frankly, being in prep school knowing that I did what it needed, knew what it took in, in the classroom. And I was going through all these things that I didn't really ask for. I just wanted to go out and kill everything in front of me. Okay, so uh, then what? Then what was the decision like in terms of college? Well, I was re-recruited all over again, so I took a few um, visits. I went to Syracuse when I was there. Obviously, UConn was right up the street, so I took a visit to UConn. I was re-recruited by Georgia Tech heavily as well as NC State. And then, you know, uh, some other schools chimed back in along the way. Um, I was getting recruited by SEC schools, Alabama, and some others as well. And I decided to go to NC State out of prep school because I wanted to play in the ACC. Uh, Georgia Tech was recruiting Al Harrington really heavily. Bobby Kremers basically told me uh, I would have to commit to them without taking the visit because it looks like Al may be going there if he doesn't go to the NBA. And I said, Coach, you know, I, I got to take a visit to the school first before I decide to commit. So I chose NC State rather than Georgia Tech. I was excited. They were excited. They felt they had the next best thing since David Thompson, the late great. And uh, I was looking forward to it. Before you know it, things changed. Evidently, uh, they were getting heat from the NC2A, from what I understand, the coaching staff. The whole coaching staff went to bat for me, but the head coach at the time. And uh, we decided to go in a different direction. And I opened up my thing again, came home, went to Lawton City College, played a JUCO year, won like 30-something games in a row, averaged over 30 a game. I was one of the top JUCO players in the state. And I decided to sign with Alabama in the SEC, uh, played for Mark Godfrey, who was a former assistant under Jim Herrick at UCLA. So that was my tie-in going there. And the goal was to be one of the top players in the SEC and ideally do my work in one year and then go to the league. So that was the agreement. Okay, here's what's funny about so Godfrey, my sister was a cheerleader at UCLA. She used to babysit his kid. So when I was sitting out between Notre Dame and Oklahoma State, Alabama was recruiting me hard. A guy named Dave Hobbs was the coach. So I visited Alabama and I get back and Godfrey calls me. He's the head coach at Murray State. And he's like, What'd you think of my school? Because you know, he played there. And I go, Man, it was awesome. It was an amazing place. Uh, I really, really like that. I go, but man, I don't know if Dave Hobbs can keep that job. Like, <laughs> no one had anything great. He's just a great guy, but the program's not great. He's like, you should go there and I'll coach you. I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, I'll be the coach there next year. Sure enough, he was the coach there the next year. It's, it's, it's crazy. So, 
Okay, let's let's go to like Long Beach City. Okay, like again, I'm trying to establish for people who are outside of Southern California and not our age, people to understand. Okay, you are a high school prodigy. You are as close to what LeBron was in high school as we had ever had. We'd had some great players, like, um, but you know, you you go to prep school, out of sight, out of mind. Now you come back. Now you're at Long Beach City. Were you living at home when you when you when you're playing Long Beach City? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, your brother fighting to stay in the NBA, right? Like yeah. that had to be that had to be crazy for you to be that. T- Why didn't you just go pro? Because yeah, I wanted to go to college, Doug. And you know the thing is, I didn't like the setup. They wanted me to go to the CBA, and I, you know, I kind of looked down on the CBA at the time. I was like, you know, CBA is kind of sure. like a reject situation. You know, if you're not good enough, you just go here and hone your skills and try to get in or whatnot. And, and they had a plan that they were trying to do. They were trying to get me into the CBA and have me play there for a moment in time, develop a little bit, and then basically call me up, in other words. I think that's what yeah. they were interested to do. And uh, I wasn't really aware. You know, my parents were basketball people. You know, my agent at the time when I decided to go hardship, uh, Mark Fleischer, felt that, that I would be drafted in the first round. I talked to a few different scouts. They said mid-late first when I came out of school. So. You know, we felt pretty confident about about my career as far as professionally, and things just kind of spiraled out of control. Everything just changed. There was a big foreign influx in the draft that year. There were some European guys that got picked out of the blue that guys didn't anticipate, and a lot of things changed. You know, from that process, while my brother was fighting to stay in the NBA, I was fighting trying to even get in. And you know, meanwhile, I left Alabama, Doug, after one season. From, from finishing in Long Beach City, I was a sophomore coming out of college, going into the pro ranks. I was all SEC second team. I led my team in scoring. I started every game. You know, I had games where I dropped 40 in the preseason. But what people don't realize is that Alabama, I wasn't playing the three like we agreed to. I was playing the four. So our big man at the power forward spot had got hurt towards knee up. So he was pretty much out for the season. And I was the only guy with pretty much college experience. So he decided to put me on the block, you know, and, and just kind of take the chances. And it changed the, the, the course of my, my career because it really hurt my opportunities professionally because scouts that were recruiting me didn't get a chance to really get to see my talent because I was pretty much being hidden at that time. That's interesting because now the, the four, like there is no more power forward, right? Like now you'd be a, you'd be a, you'd be just a two, three, four, where you just play kind of, Whatever. Um, okay, so you're getting ready for the draft. What what was the knock on you? What was the was it was it shooting because of your shoulder? Was it everything else because you could always score and you're a great athlete? So what was the what do you believe was held against you that hurt your draft stop? Well, I don't think uh, I don't think my my coach spoke highly on me, you know, in my character when it came to these GMs and stuff. When it was when it was time to do the interviews and things like that, I think uh, my tests I did really well in the pre-draft. You know, it were off the charts. I had the strongest second bench press. I think I did thirty-one reps in a minute at, at what would we lift in two twenty-five at the time or whatever it was. Me and yep. Justin, Love, I think Justin. Love. I think I think I, caught, I think basketball did one eighty-five, but yeah, that's yeah. Still, that's repping out. Lot. Yeah, something, whatever it was, it was like second best in, in, in the camp. And then I had the highest vert. I think I did 41 and a half straight up with no step you know, inches. And uh, 
killed the one-on-one training. I was destroying everybody. And then we got to the team thing, and I was playing with A.J. Guyton. Bill Cartwright was our coach. Um, and it was just a bad setup. I mean, A.J. was shooting the ball way too much. You know, Bill was letting him do what he wanted to do. And I said, man, this is a setup right here. I can see it. A.J. was a Chicago kid. He winds up getting drafted to the Bulls, played in Indiana. So it was that kind of Midwest connection on our team. And it kind of messed up our chemistry with some of our other players. Me and Chris Porter were were the two guys that played, you know, pretty much down low on that on that squad. And we were battling out there, man. It, it, it's, it, it is literally politics and a crapshoot. You got guys that have the big-time agents, and then you got guys that's just fighting just trying to make it. And that's kind of like the balance that you have in that in that dynamic. And I think for me, after that, it was just kind of like the handwriting's on the wall. This experience doesn't feel good. I'm probably going to have to go go to Europe or something. So I kind of started feeling certain ways before we even finished the pre-draft. So by the time I got home, I didn't really have a good experience about the way I felt about my chances. So when the draft came around, I was home. You know, I think me and my brother went and grabbed some buffalo wings from Legends right here, local in Long Beach. My trainer was with me, AD. Uh, the agent came over. And in my family, it was very small. You know, we sat and watched the draft. It was a very humbling experience. When I didn't get drafted, I walked outside. I stayed very quiet and walked around my neighborhood and cried like a baby. In that process, I said to myself, I'm going to pursue my professional career no matter where I have to play. I know I have talent. And I'm going to play wherever, you know, I, I can I can make money until I can't play anymore. And that was my mentality. It's, it was like trying to get back to the NBA was an uphill battle that, you know, I was never able to conquer. And finally, at 30 years old, I decided to to walk away from the game. My daughter was conceived and, and the documentary came into existence shortly after. So the Mad Child documentary is something that people need to take serious because the thing about my film is I did it the right way. I was better than most people. And if it can happen to me, it can happen to anyone. So it's lessons in this film that have nothing to do with basketball. It's it's integrity and, and steadfastness and, and resilience. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. 
Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, so help me out, though. Okay, so you, you don't get drafted. Yeah. Then what? Then what's the what's the first basketball you play after not getting drafted? I go into the CBA, I believe, play with Sioux Falls Sky Force, which was one of the top. Wait, did you play? Did you play summer league? Did you play uh, summer league like because it was a Long Beach State then, right? And you had yeah. free agent summer league, and then you had teams. Well, yeah. Do you remember what you did summer league wise after in the NBA? Uh, I think I may have played with the Clippers that summer, I believe. And I think Dennis Johnson was the coach. Uh, we had a really good team. I played really well in summer league. He had a meeting with me um, halfway through the summer league and said that he would sign me. You know, he loves my game. I'm tough, strong, athletic, you know, never had an opportunity. And he wants to sign me. That was that was the plan. Well, the next day they fired him in summer league. And I'm saying to myself, man, what are the chances? This never happens. So it was just ongoing after that, Doug. So I went from the Clippers right into opportunity in Europe, uh, playing in Yugoslavia at the time, which is Serbia now, KK Partizan. Had a great experience. Played against Vladimir. Okay, hold on, hold on. Don't, don't don't gloss over. There's a lot of things here. Okay, yeah. so you're you're how old when you go to when you go to Yugoslavia? I believe I was about 19. I believe, yeah, almost 20. Okay, so you're 20 years old. What do you remember about landing in Belgrade? Man, it was it was a much different world then. I think we. Uh, we were at war shortly shortly before that, so they had buildings that we had bombed that they never really tore down or remodeled. And you know, it was an older country. Um, the, the the family family members there they had a lot of pride. Uh, my team had a lot of pride. I, I noticed that there was a poverty line there that that was either have or have not. There was no middle class. Uh, right. There was a culture a culture shock. Um, there was a language barrier, but it took about 30 days to get acclimated, to be honest. And once I made the transition, I fell in love with the people, had a great experience. I think I have a lot of friends and fans there still today, and um, they've done well over the years. Uh, Vladi Divac owned the team. We had the same agent, Mark Fleischer, so that was Italian. And um, it was a good business deal, but playing-wise, I didn't have a good experience. I played well and then went and played for three games. And I'm saying to myself, if I'm in the league, not only am I getting more minutes, I'm putting myself in a position to make more money. So people need to understand the international grind is much different than playing in the U.S. So it's a really good thing that they have the G League for guys up and coming there. So you get done with Partizan, then what? Get done with Partizan, then I'm a free agent all over again, looking to find a home. And from that point on, it was just like pretty much like a different country every season. You know, I played in Serbia to start, played in uh, – France, I played in Greece, I did Italy, I played in Venezuela, played through China, you know, different areas. I mean, Mexico, all the minor league circuits, USBL, MBDL, CBA. You know, I did all those all those circuits. I tapped everything, all the Globetrotters, 
until I basically exhausted my repertoire, Doug. What was your favorite experience? Uh, different places for different reasons. I like Italy. I like Venice, you know, riding the gondolas and stuff, being able to play in the Benetton Calabrese, very professional organization. Um, I like Greece for different reasons, the visuals, uh, the, the water and stuff. You know, I could appreciate uh, France. It was a clean country. I love pastries and stuff. So the bakery was, I'd smell it every morning at five in the morning. So I enjoyed that, you know, playing right outside of Paris. And um, Venezuela, probably because of the weather. You know, I think that the cuisine is, is, is healthy and very attractive uh, women at the time. So that was always nice, you know, to, to go outside and see beautiful women walking up and down the street, you know, and just the experience to be able to travel the internationally. I think you grow a lot more than you do just traveling domestic. No question. Um, worst experience you had? Worst experience? Um, probably going to the Middle East to play. Uh, three weeks late on my payment. They owed me over $20,000. Um, which, which country? Uh, this is in Iran at the time. And this is uh, when we're warring in Afghanistan. So most people were scared to even get on that plane. I said, they got some money for me. I got to go get it. So getting over there, they were three weeks late on the payment. I was really frustrated. There was a, a pad underneath the, the gold that usually supposed to be padded. It was kind of wrapped around. And uh, there was a metal plate behind it. I was frustrated on the plate. The ref didn't call the foul. And I hit the thing with my fist. And I just, my hand just swelled up like a grapefruit, man. I, I broke a bone in, 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 in my pinky right here. And uh, I was done, man. I told the people, I said, look, give me what, give me what you owe me. I'm out of here. This is unprofessional. You know, they said, well, you breached the contract, you know, blah, blah, blah. So they gave me like a portion of the money and we severed the ties and I came back home. And I said, I can't believe this. You know, people don't realize the way we do business in America is taken for granted a lot of times until you get in a worse situation. It makes you appreciate, you know, the way we do things. And you know, I learned a lot at that time. I said, man, you know, there's places in the world that are like nightmares. And, and you won't know unless you go. You know, you got to take the opportunity. And this team had a lot of money. I mean, they were one of the bigger teams in Iran. They made the Peugeot car for the country of Iran. So they had the manufacturing plant on our grounds where we would practice. And I'm saying to myself, they're sitting on all this money and they're not even being professional. So I was really upset about that experience. So I came home, you know, healed up and then wound up playing, uh, I believe, in, in the USBL for a little while until I went back to Venezuela. But uh, You hung him up at, at 30 and you had this, this documentary starting. What's it like, though, now, over 10 years later, when you hear, you, like, you see yourself on screen, you know how talented you were and to have never played at that highest level? What What is that like inside of you? The emptiness, you know, uh, to have all this talent and to play against the best and pretty much reign supreme with most of most of the country for several years. And then to have an opportunity to play pro ball and basically just it be a slap in the face. You know, it was like, how did I get here? You know, you have all this talent. Then you have all these trials and tribulations. And, you know, a lot of my peers had a smooth ride and they were the ones doing doing all the dirt. But they're coming after me and I got attacked for it. So it was kind of like. I felt slighted in my pro career, you know, and, and I gave I gave everything I had. Doug. Wherever I played, it didn't matter. I said, I'm going to just lay it on the line. And when it's over, it's over because, you know, very few people get a chance to play pro ball, let alone go to the NBA. So it, I looked at that as a blessing 
being able to play pro one, pro a ball, you know, in Europe is the second best league in the world next to the NBA. I mean, I'm traveling to all the main countries and stuff like that. So I soaked all of that up and took that experience, you know, uh, seriously, but it was tough every year being a free agent, trying to find a home. That's not a, that's not a comfortable space to live. Um, if you were to advise an up and coming superstar, okay, who's physically dominant and has to put together the right skill set and mentality to make it, to go through. And I understand it's very different now, right? I understand you got, now you got like overtime elite, which is like a paid prep school. Then you have the G League elite, plus you can go straight out or you go to college. But just in terms of developing your game, how would you advise them? What would, what would you do differently? Um, great question. I would probably do most of the things the same. I think, uh, if I had to do anything differently, I obviously would have left out of high school. Knowing what I know now, you know, I wouldn't have went through that tumultuous experience. But, you know, at the end of the day, Doug, you know, God has me where I'm supposed to be at. And, and I had to be at peace with that. I had to find peace in that. So what I would tell kids today, just focus on your craft, be more of a student. A lot of guys are talented. They're very skilled. Um, I don't think the toughness is what it used to be. With the majority of the kids, I think we had less opportunities, so we played with more passion. And uh, we had a different level of hunger because there was less teams, less opportunities. I think t- kids today need to be more students. I think they need to work on their weaknesses and and not listen to people as much as far as rankings and, and all of that and worrying about what age team you plan on. The reality is this. If you're good enough, they're going to find you. There's oodles of opportunities now. You mentioned, you know, overtime elite. You've got the G League. You've got numerous opportunities. You go to Australia, play in Italy. You know, Brandon Jennings played with Lotto Grammatica that year before he came into the NBA and made about a half a million dollars. So there's a ton of opportunities for kids. When you're on the radar, all you got to do is be consistent, stay out of trouble, and stay healthy and keep working. Um, what's next for you? We got a lot of stuff to, um, on the docket right now in the process of building the community center. I've uh, just got my uh, go ahead with my, my foundation. We got our nonprofit status in place. Um, there's talk of a docu-series. There's a lot of stuff going. I'm going to do a tour. I'm going up to Sacramento next month uh, to do a, a grassroots screening experience for some high school uh, teams and show the Manchild documentary and do a Q&A. And, that's something we're going to start doing now. I'm going to do select uh, grassroots screenings throughout the country. How do you, you were very fortunate. Your dad was always there for you. You know, your dad would take you to any game, would, would support you. But there's lots of kids that don't have that sort of support system. And there are people around them that some people around them because they're good people, some people around them because they just want to see the action, right? Right. You, you live that life when you're the next thing and people are trying to get into your life and try and be part of your future. How do you know who's real and who's not? Great question. Um, I think that's tested through adversity. You know, you know what you have with people when, when you need somebody and everybody's your friend when things are going good. I think that's a false pretense. So you have to test your relationship through the adversities of life. And, I got a chance to see that, Doug, when I tore my shoulder up. Everything changed. The the crowds of people that are around, they just kind of went went into other spaces and, and, and started chasing other people. And I started to see, like, you know, okay, my mother's here, my father's here, my brother's here, and this is what I have. 
to rely on. Everything on the outside is more of a facade. These people that I come into contact, they're more of acquaintances. They're not really friends, right? They're opportunistic. So I would tell kids today, keep your circle small. You know, stay close to the people that, that love you and care about you and want the best for you. And, um, you know, set your goals high. Uh, how can somebody see the Man Child documentary? Right now, it's available on, on all streaming platforms. It's on iTunes. It's on Amazon Prime Video. Uh, for people that, that don't, don't want to pay, you could do 2B TV, which is a really hot opportunity right now, the way they have the streaming. And uh, go get it. I mean, it's available right now. You, you guys won't regret it. It's powerful, so we we'll recommend everybody to see it. Listen, I appreciate you joining me. It's gonna, it's, uh, it's something everybody's talking about. And obviously, you're a guy of supreme respect for you and your entire family. And I really appreciate you joining me on the pod. Thank you, Doug. I appreciate you too, man. All the best. All right, a lot to unpack there. Here's what I want you to do. Feel free to hit me up on Twitter about questions about Shay. I'll share with you my thoughts next time at Gottlieb Show. Also, we get the Facebook page as well. We'll put it up everywhere. You ask your question. I'll give you my thoughts. Give my thoughts. In the meantime, make sure you tell friends about this pod. Download, subscribe, rate, write a review. Um, and oh yeah, by the way, you can listen to the Doug Gottlieb Show every day, 3 to 6 Eastern, 12 through Pacific on iHeartRadio or the Fox Sports Radio app. In the meantime, my thanks to Shay Cotton for joining me. I'm Doug Gottlieb and this is All Ball. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota.